Really glad you're here this morning. Just in case you looked at the order of service in the program, I'm Randy Lanthrop, the senior pastor, and I pastor here in Diamond Bar. I think we got them mixed up. We have Alhambra's pastor in there, but just wanted to make sure you knew who I was, that you weren't confused. Um, we are in the second week of the series we're calling God and Politics. Um, that's about, you can't go on, on TV news or read the paper or whatever news source you read on the internet. Can't go on there without seeing something about politics these days. Creates quite a buzz and it's, it's been fascinating this year, hasn't it? <laughs> to see what's going on. Um, last year I, I gave a brief, I mean last week I gave a brief summary of the top two Republicans, top two Democrats, a couple things they said, quotes of their promises, and that's shifted now. The number two Republican is now the, clearly the number three, but this is what's going to happen until uh, somebody ends up winning the election. And it creates a buzz in our culture because the leader who gets in office has an impact on the specifics of our life. There, there's an impact on things like employment and income and our freedom in, in specific areas. So this, this gets our attention. Politics are all over the news right now. It's going to continue to build uh, with a little over eight months before the presidential election. Common wisdom says... Never mix politics and religion. This is, this is a picture. It's a meme from the Internet. You can see their recipe for disaster. I, I grew up with this sense. I know. I picked it up in, in the culture I grew up in, in school, and on through in elementary, junior high, on through college. Um, in this series, though, we're not talking about politics and religion for the sake of discussion. We're looking at how God is working in and through governments to achieve his purpose. He, he works in and through the governments in the entire world. And so we're, we're looking at what Scripture says about that and then trying to figure out how Christ followers need to uh, connect with what he's doing, relate to their government, and in our society... We have the privilege of influencing our, our government. And so we're looking at how should we approach the issues that are all the hot topics in uh, the political realm today. How do we do that as Christ followers? Last week, we looked at how rulers and politicians come and go. We dug into Psalm 146. They serve a brief term and they move off the scene. So God's people are commanded to put our hope in God who reigns forever. He is the only one who can be trusted and the only hope we really have over the course of history here on earth and then on through eternity. Today I want to build on that perspective that earthly leaders are mere mortal men and take another step by looking at how ideas and opinions of people come and go. And their ideas tend to recycle 
And so today what I want to do is look at what is the foundation that we're going to build on as a country and as people in that country. Nations need a strong foundation on which to build their laws and government. We desperately need a law outside of ourselves to guide us like a compass points to true north and gives direction to our lives. We need that as a nation. And so we're going to dig in and see what Scripture says about that. 2,700 years ago, God used a prophet named Isaiah to speak to a confused and anxious group of Israelites. And their nation was in the middle of major turmoil and discipline from the Lord. And God delivers a message of comfort packed with perspective to his people. And this is what he says in Isaiah 40. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In my experience, many of my big ideas have withered. (laughs) You know, people come and go. That's the perspective of this passage. But many of my ideas have been blown away like the grass of the field as I live life and as I experience life. For example, when I was young, uh, young and simple, we'll say, uh, I, I, I could not see, I didn't see the connection between economic policy in a country and Scripture. I didn't see how it would have anything to say about that. Boy, was I wrong. I've I've learned over the course of my adult life that God has a lot to say about economic policy. The laws and the policies we choose and the programs we install impact the motivation of the people toward work and the mindset of, of large portions of our country in the way we go about living our life. So my my ideas about that are now that God has a lot to say about that. And I need to pay attention. I've shifted. My ideas have shifted over the years many, many times. Isaiah is saying here that God's word stands the test time and time again. Scripture is the plumb line that we can measure all of life up to. Every aspect of life, it gives us the plumb line. My dad, I, one summer, a friend of mine and I... Uh, re-roofed our house in Southgate. I grew up in Southgate, and which is closer to downtown L.A. But anyway, my dad paid us to, to re-roof the house, and he was a very wise man. He had a start in the back. And the first, he, he, he went to work. First of all, it got hot pretty early, so we didn't work very long. But he, the first row of shingles went something like, like this. <laughs> and I, he came home from work and he said, oh, no, you know, what have I done? He said, hey, Randy, here's what you're going to have to do tomorrow. Snap a chalk line. And I'm thinking, what is that? You know, what is a chalk line? So he said, he showed us how to do it. You hold one in, you snap the chalk line. All the other rows were straight because that was the plumb line that we measured against. And we could see whether we were getting crooked or not. 
That's what Scripture is. It, it's the plumb line that shows us when we're veering off course of what God has said and established about reality. The role of the Bible in our country is shifting. It, it's sadly being put on the shelf, literally. But there's a vital connection between absolute truth and the strength of a government for the good of its people. I'd like to show you a video from Clay Christensen. And he lays out the connection between religion and the ability of a democracy to do well. Christensen is a professor of, uh, professor of business administration at Harvard uh, Business School. So I'd like you to listen to this. Some time ago, I had a conversation with a Marxist economist from China. He was coming to the end of a Fulbright Fellowship here in Boston. And I asked him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected. And without any hesitation, he said, yeah. I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. The reason why democracy works, he said, is not because the government was designed to oversee what everybody does, but rather democracy works because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. And in your past, most Americans attended a church or a synagogue every week and they were taught there by people who they respected. My friend went on to say that Americans followed these rules because they had come to believe that they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. My Chinese friend heightened a vague but nagging concern I've harbored inside that as religion loses its influence over the lives of Americans, what will happen to our democracy? Where are the institutions that are going to teach the next generation of Americans that they, too, need to voluntarily choose to obey the laws? Because if you take away religion, you can't hire enough police. That is a very clear summary of my point this morning that we need a foundation beyond ourselves. It's essential that we have a, a, a reliable source to draw from, a, a source of truth that we can count on, that we can build on. We don't have a source of transcendent truth to draw from to govern our country and to make the choices that we do in our votes, those that we elect to put into office, uh, we tend to base our choices on a ball of emotion and tangled experience. <laughs> so it's, we really need, we need something to draw on. Relativism is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context and are not absolute. This has been working its way into our nation's mindset for uh, several decades over a century, I'm sure. Uh, and it's been working our way into our mindset like yeast works its way into dough. Without a truth outside and above us, we make decisions that seem right in the moment. Absolute a, a truth outside of ourselves allows us to rise above the emotions of the topic and not 
vote personally on emotion or ideas. One of the dangers of relativism is that you never draw conclusions on a matter. You, you never arrive at a conclusion. There's a bias against deciding once and for all. It's, you don't want to be dogmatic. I came out of college with a bias, and it's interesting because I studied religion in college, uh, religion and behavioral science, but I came away with a bias against being dogmatic. Oh, don't want to be dogmatic. You know? <laughs> don't want to have dogma. Dogma's bad. It's doggy. <laughs> Sorry, I got carried away there. Um, we, we must stay open-minded. What's interesting, changed my mind here, is I got into Scripture and I, I understood the, the word for simple in Hebrew in the Old Testament is to be open, to be too open to new ideas. We need, to, we need to decide. We need to make a decision. You end up, if you, if you stay open, you end up having to make the same decision over and over and over and over again. You never land anywhere. It's very difficult to make progress this way in life. And to build on any kind of foundation, you keep laying the foundation. You're over and over again. You're making decisions about what's right and wrong. Another problem with relativism is the lack of stability and unity that it brings to a society who buys into it. It's been working our way into our society, and it's, if, if everybody's making up their own mind and the truth is relative to them, then each individual keeps deciding what's right or wrong in their own mind. And you can't move a country in any one direction. You can't remove a group of people that direction. Now imagine going to the doctor and receiving a firm diagnosis of diabetes. But let's say you respond to the diagnosis by telling the doctor, hey, doc, I, I know the tests say this, and, and you have a right to your own opinion, but I really like donuts. And I'm just going to deny the truth of the blood tests and whatever other tests you've received. Denying the truth and refusing to believe it doesn't change reality. Reality is what it is. And reality lines up with what God says it is. And he's made it clear in Scripture what is real, what is true. We need to do whatever we can as Christ followers to bring God's truth out into the open in our country in a wise and helpful way. Very gracious way. As Christ followers scanning the political landscape, we look to the present and the future with confidence because we, we know the one who's directing history to, to fulfill his good purpose. We know him. We, we've connected with the God of the universe, and he's working in and through governments to accomplish his plan. You discover in Scripture that God establishes all authority, and works out his plan through it. Romans 13, 1 through 3. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. 
Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Now, this is an interesting passage, isn't it? Very instructive. God rules the world through the authority he puts in place. From the rulers or leaders of nations to the bosses in workplaces to the heads of families. This is how God's decided to do it. If you lead a large organization, a corporation or a company, the way you lead that company is you delegate pieces of responsibility to different folks who delegate to others. There's an organizational chart. Can you imagine, by the way, the organizational chart of the world? <laughs> As God, you know, God's got it all laid out and he's got the, the, the kings and the rulers and the presidents and the leaders of nations. And then he's got, you know, the family units and he's got this realm that that would be. You know, I, I'm I'm still trying to create a viable org chart for Church in the Valley. But God, God can take it. He can handle it. He, he has the mind to be able to pull this off. And this is what God has done in ruling the world. So he rules the world through the leaders he puts in place, both good and bad. This was written in, to, to a group of Christians in Rome who were under a very despicable emperor. So it was written to a group of Christians who were not under a benevolent, a benevolent ruler. In faith, we handle the present and the future with an upbeat attitude because of the implication of this passage. Whoever wins the election... God is the one who put him there. Now, I don't know how God does this, <laughs> but he weaves together our choices, our own choices with his sovereign power to direct history. I, I, that's a mystery, how he pulls that off. But in his sovereignty, in his power, he has the ability to take our actions, our choices weave them together and accomplish his purpose and plan in the history and in, in what's going on in the history. So since, since my actions and choices make a difference, I can't sit back in autopilot and just let him reign. Let it rain, God. You reign. I'm just going to sit on the couch and watch what you do. <laughs> That's not what you see in Scripture. He, he works through our choices, through our actions, and he weaves those together into his sovereign plan somehow to accomplish his purpose, to do his will. History is going somewhere. It's going toward his defined purpose. So I have an active role to play as one who bears his name in the society in which I live. We're going to look more at the details of that next week. We live in a country with a system of government that gives each citizen an important role, and this is what I want us to grasp today. 
In the Gettysburg Address, Abraham Lincoln concluded the speech with a well-known phrase as he tried to give perspective to uh, the men who had, uh, and the families and the folks who had gathered. They had just fought a battle. People were dying for the cause on both sides. And this phrase grew out of a speech. It was, it was interesting. As I did the research, I found out that he followed a guy who spoke for two hours. <laughs> and he used 240 words to nail it. But in this speech, this is what he said. He said, the reason we're fighting is that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people by the people for the people should not perish from the earth. In America, each citizen has the power to influence government. It's a privilege we have. We can vote. We can communicate with our elected representatives. And the way God works, he always packages privilege with responsibility. They always go together. If he gives you a privilege, then you're responsible to handle it well and to do what's right before him. Our power as American citizens gives us the responsibility to do everything we can to influence our government for good. Our system of government has given unprecedented freedom and blessing to its people throughout the decades, the couple centuries of our country's existence. This is from the hand of God. I, I don't know what he has planned for the future, but I know that one of the things it seems to me he was doing through what they call the American experiment, because there is unprecedented. One of the things he was doing is showing how if you line up with God's truth and the core principles of the, ha- the way that he says life works, you find his blessing. And so this is an important thing to understand what God is doing in the course of history. As Christ followers, we must realize that government is best when it matches up with God's unchanging truth. Romans 13, 4 through 7. Pay attention to this first phrase here. It follows what was said in the verse that we read earlier, the first part of the verse. For he is God's servant for your good. This is the role of government. Government is designed to be God's servant for the good of the people in that, in that realm. This is his purpose. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the sake of For the same reason, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to those whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is uh, is owed. Timely for, since April 15th is rolling around, it's a timely passage to read. (laughs) At its best... What Paul's saying here is government is God's servant for good. It sets, government sets the cultural framework that will be good, ideally be good for people under its authority. This is what God intends. It draws the boundaries around uh, 
wrong and decides the punishment for the wrong that is done. To be subject to it means to put ourselves under its authorities, under its authority, and obey its laws and policies, which is the framework it's made of. This is the framework, laws, policies, etc. God set limits on the authority of government. There, there are limits, and I'm going to talk a little more about that next week. But we're commanded to be in subjection to it in every way that it stays inside its limits. Laws always make judgments about what's best for people. I grew up hearing the statement, for as long as I can remember, you can't legislate morality. You just can't do that. But in God and Government, Charles Colson says, this, this idea is a, a myth, complete myth. <laughs> he was, he was uh, uh, trained as a lawyer, but was involved in the Nixon administration, got caught in the Watergate scandal, one of the main players in the Watergate scandal, and then in prison he came to Christ and became one of the most clear uh, teachers and writers about the relationship of Scripture and, and government. This is what he says. Morality is legislated every day from the vantage point of one value system or another. The question is not whether we will legislate morality, but whose morality will we legislate? We've shifted to an extreme focus on the individual in America. And this includes the idea that every person has the right to define morality for themselves. However, for our government to work for the good of its people, which God is holding us accountable to do, we have to base our morality on a more stable truth. For it to work, we must draw on a set of shared truths and values. That's what Christensen was saying in the video. These are outside of any one person. The laws and values are above us. God's truth stands above us. And the focus on the individual has created a current of relativism that pulls people in a direction away from God's truth. See this in uh, education, politics, see it all over the place in conversations that we have. Relative, uh, relativism drives values out of truth and values out of the public square so that we can't even discuss what we believe is absolute truth. They're seen as divisive. Absolute truths are seen as divisive. This creates an unstable, directionless country pulled in many directions since we don't have a foundation to build on. When our country was founded, the shared set of truths and values found in the Bible were based on the Judeo-Christian roots that we have. Today, the general consensus has kicked God out of politics and booted him from what they call the public square where things are discussed. The trouble with this move is that the truth of God gives us the roots of our virtue. It, it gives us the roots of good character that turns out to be good for the people in our country. And when we don't have these roots, we make very poor choices. 
For instance, we've taken away virtue as a qualification for someone serving in public office. This is not wise, to say the least. This is not wise. Because if a man is going to be unfaithful to his wife and break that vow, why would we trust him to be faithful to the vow he makes to serve the good of the people as he takes office? If he breaks one vow, why would he not break another vow? Why would he keep it? It doesn't make any sense. All this means that we have a crucial role to play in politics as Christ's followers. And it starts with being informed about the Bible and what it says about government and authority and virtue and what the implications are for those that we vote for and elect to office. It continues by knowing God's perspective on key issues that will weaken the framework of our society if, if we as a nation allow it to. So Supreme Court Justice Scalia, who recently passed away, once advised college students that they should understand a law higher than their own consciences. He said this, he said, more important than your obligation to follow your conscience, he warned, or at least prior to it, is your obligation to form your conscience correctly. We need to consider the issues, to think them through, to investigate what the Bible says about them, draw conclusions, and develop convictions about what's true. Convictions are something that you're willing to pay a high price for. We, we need to decide and land and be willing to live out what we believe. G.K. Chesterton once said, Dogma does not mean the absence of thought, but the end of thought. You, you've thought about everything. You've sorted out the issues. You've investigated what the Bible says, what's going on. In the current day, and you've landed somewhere. Our political leaders are making laws, and, and, and the courts are deciding on matters that create a vital framework for our country. And we need to know what's right from God's perspective on these, these things. We've provided a handout in your program uh, to help you start investigating what the Bible says about core issues. Just very, very simple, brief. Uh, handout with some of the passages that relate to the, the issues that are hot topics in the election and in our country today. We need to understand how the decisions that are going to be made and the people we put into office are going to decide and establish policy and law. Uh, and we need to know how the, all of this is going to impact the good of the people involved. We need to make our voice heard. So I've listed Passages related to family and sexuality, uh, also passage related to the protection of life. We, we need to know God's word on these matters. If we try to change the definition of things like marriage from God's definition, it creates a, a, an unstable society. This is proven in history. It's not good for society at large. God hasn't changed his opinion on these matters, so life works best when we align with his truth. And we need the framework of government to create the boundaries and provide the structure in which people can thrive and live. 
We need to elect leaders who draw from God's definition of marriage and things like their gender identity. God's definition of marriage is one man and one woman committed for life. His, his definition of gender is there are two, not more. We, we need to line up with his, his truth. Because when we don't, we have no foundation to build on. If elected officials don't hold to this truth, they will establish laws and policies that do harm, not good for the people in our country. So Christ followers shouldn't let the foundation of our country slide and erode without doing our part to help restore it. So commit to grasp God's truth about these matters. Draw conclusions, develop convictions, and then do your part. To influence government for good through your vote and other means available. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take out the connection card from your program uh, that you may have started filling out earlier in the service. As the worship team comes back on stage uh, and the ushers prepare to receive this morning's offering, please finish any information that you weren't able to complete prior or Mark one of the next steps that I'm going to suggest. When the offering ushers come around, you can drop it in the offering. Here are my suggested next steps. There may have been others that came to mind, but first of all, pray for our leaders and the election. We're going to look at it a little more next week, but 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, commands believers to pray for those over them in government. Secondly, study the Bible passages on the key issues. I've provided some of them. There's a lot more you could do on the study. And some of the issues like economics, very difficult to put on a half sheet of paper (laughs) as you try to study them. But they're there in Scripture. Um, But it requires a, a, a lot more than I could explain there. But I just wanted to get you started with the hope that you'd really dig in and try to find out what Scripture says, because that's that's the truth of God. It's membership renewal time here at Church in the Valley. Uh, if, if you're a member and you would like to renew your membership, there's a, a card in your program that you could fill out to renew. Or if you have questions about renewing, let us know, and a staff member would be glad to talk with you about that. We've made some changes to our statement of faith. Uh, So I sent an email out this week alerting members to those changes who weren't, uh, I sent it to every member, but the reason I did was because not all of us were at the meeting in August where we voted to affirm the changes. The changes clearly define what the Bible teaches about uh, sanctity of human life, marriage, gender identity, and sexuality. These are things that we've always believed here. At Church in the Valley, the Bible's our guide. We base what we do and our, our beliefs on the Scripture. But the slide toward relativism has made it prudent for us to spell this out in our statement of faith. And we need to be unified as a church on these matters because the church plays even a more crucial role in reinforcing the right values when they're absent from the culture. The church now provides a, an important framework in which our kids and the people in our churches can, can learn God's truth and thrive as they apply it to their lives. So uh, this is why uh, we've done that, and 
it's time to renew. If, you, if you'd like to or if you have questions, please let us know about that as well. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth that we see in your scripture and how it really does set us free. There is something in us that wants to fight against you and your truth. But God, as we surrender, as we live by it, as we build on it, life is right and things are good. So I pray, God, that you'd use us, that you'd help us to apply what you said to us this morning through uh, your word. Help us to live it. Help us take the steps you've laid on our heart to take and bring honor to you in doing that. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.